Hi, my name is Kim Wilkins, and I'm a graduate student at the School of Education at the University of Virginia. I'm studying curriculum and instruction with a focus on innovation and computer science education. This series of podcast episodes is all about bringing computer science education research into the K-8 classroom. Welcome back, everyone. I am really excited for our guest today, Luther Tychanovich, who is somebody that I've been able to work quite a bit with, and I really have appreciated it. And now I'm going to learn a little bit more about the kind of CS education researchy type things he's been doing. But Luther, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm Luther Tychanovich. I'm an associate professor of computer science at the University of Virginia. I'm on our teaching track, which means Research is not a major part of my job, but pedagogy and teaching and, and so on is. And yeah, I don't know how much you want to know. That, that's a great start. I'm sure we'll, <laughs> we'll dive a little bit more. So even though you are on the teaching track, you are obviously into CS education research mm-hmm. and how that impacts CS education. What, how did you get involved with that? Why is that interesting to you? So I, uh, I declared my CS major my third year of college. I transferred from an associate uh, from a community college to a university and decided to change majors. And I think it was my very first class, and technically my second class. My second class in CS, I just started noticing odd things about the way the course was running and started paying attention to CS pedagogy as a student. Mm-hmm. And then I took an entire CS major in two years and had a lot of time to think about how <laughs> this worked. And, and thereafter, as I started my master's work, uh, I started thinking more about this, volunteered as a TA more than I was supposed to do as a graduate student. And then when I came to UVA and started my PhD, I intentionally looked for a research advisor that would allow me to engage in the educational mission as well as the research mission of the university during my, during my undergrad. So although to get a CS PhD, at least in most schools, that means you're doing disciplinary research. And I did disciplinary research and it worked out. I was also doing educational, mostly understanding the state of the research, a few small projects on the side, and then engaging in the dissemination and, and implementation of that from my PhD on up. So can I ask you what, what made you change your major to CS? Um, sure. Uh, <laughs> So uh, the, the answer, though, is not what you probably are going to expect. It, it had to okay. do with religion. So between my associates and my PhD, I served a two-year proselytizing mission for my church. And that changed my relationship with God to some degree. And after I came back, I felt like what I had previously planned to do was no longer what God wanted me to do. Interesting. No, I think that's really cool. And feeling that calling wherever it comes from um, is a really good thing to follow when you're going to think about your career so yeah it was a bit stressful at first to realize that I was just going to throw away what I'd done but it turned out very well yeah and I think these days people do that more and more right we're not just in this one track of um, I reinvented myself several times so (laughs) (laughs) totally understand so we're going to look at a couple papers and as you pointed out they're not sort of traditional research papers but they do have a lot of research infused in them and so I wanted to talk about One is Tapestry Workshops Helping High School Teachers Grow and Diversify Computing, which I think was around the 2012 Mm -hmm. timeframe. And then Lessons Learned from Hundreds, Providing Hundreds of Hours of Diversity Training, which was 2020. So kind of the span of this project that you were part of. So can first you tell us a little bit about uh, Tapestry Workshops, what they were, how they came about? Yeah. So the Tapestry Workshops were the the brainchild of Joanne McGrath-Cahoon, 
who unfortunately has died in the interim. But uh, she, she is a, uh, a sociologist who studied in particular women's experience in computer science and computer science education. And her husband, um, James Cahoon, was my PhD advisor. And the two of them had a collaborative grant on several different aspects of trying to increase women's representation in computing. Women's representation in computing instantly has gone through various phases. In the early days of computing, all software was written by women, and it dropped down to a bottomed out around 17%-ish around the time this project started. As this project started when there was a significant need to try to fix this gender inequity. And the basic idea of the tapestry project itself was that we were going to bring in high school teachers and teach them a variety of things, largely around how to get more students into their CS classes, how to have those students have a better experience, and how to have that not be gender different. And so the, we ran these three-day workshops. Um, these started the year before I got involved with them. I came on as uh, Jim Cahoon's graduate student and then started initially just helping out with the logistics, but pretty quickly moved from there into more and more of an active role in the planning and then dissemination until at this point, I have delivered more hours of tapestry training than anyone else. That is not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> that is really interesting. And obviously, I am very interested in this topic because I founded Tech Girls, because I learned about that 17, 18% in, the, in 2010. And so, you know, it's so interesting that you start with high school computer science and math teachers. And one of the things I read is that in 2011, APCS had 8%, the test takers were like 8% of who were taking AP calculus. Has that changed at all? Is that a little, but not dramatically. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that, that's a huge issue, isn't it? Well, education is not designed to move quickly, right. right? It's designed to decide what the established knowledge is and to teach that knowledge and learn how to teach it well. And so when new things become important, it takes a while to get those into the system and to decide they're important and to decide what else isn't important or as important anymore is always a hard sell because we aren't making education longer. And so every new thing we teach must require something to be taught at less level of detail. Well, how, how did things start out? Like, where did you start with tapestry and kind of where did, what, were, what was the evolution of it? Yeah, so I mean, the, the initial thing was we brought together a bunch of uh, high school teachers, most, about half of whom were actively teaching CS, about half of whom wanted to teach CS. And none of them were teaching it full time. That just wasn't a thing then. They would have one section of it while they were also teaching something else. And we tried just everything. We brought in like leading researchers in, in implicit bias, and we had computer science researchers talk about what they thought was most important about their field. And we had workshops where we would work through how do you make recruiting materials. And we just tried to figure out what worked. Mm -hmm. And so over uh, several years, it, it started out pretty good, but it turned out that when we asked teachers what they liked about the first round, it was, we liked that we got to see other people that are also high school teachers teaching CS. Like, okay. We can facilitate that more, right? And so we continued to evolve and adjust what we did by measuring, doing surveys at the time, surveys a year later to see what they'd actually implemented, observing things. We'd have people going to each session that were part of the tapestry team simply to take notes about what the teachers reacted to and so forth, and tried to refine that message to figure out what is it that's useful and implementable. So one of the things I noticed in here that I had to highlight was that 
one of the sessions focused on research that rests on sparking female students' interest, building their confidence, nurturing a sense of belonging, and providing opportunities for developing students' identities as computing people. And those are actually the founding principles of Tech Girls, which I got from Joanne. So it was really great to read about that in here. Yeah, I think a lot of the Tapestry Workshop owes its vision to Joanne's research and yeah. to what worked. Yeah. So where are they now? Are they still happening? What 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 do you what was sort of the outcome of these workshops? They worked. They worked right from the beginning. About half of the people that would attend would fall, respond to our follow-up surveys and show significant increase, both in the total number of students they were teaching and in the gender and to some degree racial diversity, although we weren't primarily focused on race and ethnicity of those students. And we found this continued to increase. So people would attend additional workshops, it would continue to grow until many of the people that attended our early workshops and we invited back a few times ended up teaching CS full-time as the only thing they did, teaching hundreds of students with near demographic match of their classes and the schools they were in. That's huge. It is, it is. Uh, so at one point we, we determined that uh, we had taught the teachers of the majority of people that took APCS. Oh, really? Um, wow. And so it was working really well. However, the challenge we had in making it continue was oddly enough about to do with funding. Our initial funding came from the National Science Foundation. When Jan Cooney came in as a director of several programs at the National Science Foundation, she really wanted to work on this problem. And so she gave quite a lot of money, actually more than we initially asked for. It's the only time I've known where I put it in grants and they say, <laughs> no, you need to ask for more money. And we had funding to develop this, to figure out what worked. But the National Science Foundation's mission is research. It's to figure out new things. And once we had verified that it worked for us, we then verified that we could help other people run them. And so we had a, a second grant that disseminated ran them with other schools with other people helping run them. And then we knew it worked. And so that source of money wasn't with us anymore. Mm. Um, and so initially we tried going out to various companies and foundations, but we found often they had extra constraints they wanted to put on things. We had spent a lot of time and energy figuring out what worked well. And when somebody said, oh, and you should also, it tended to, to detract from the overall experience. In recent years, most of those we've done have come either from small project grants. So various groups like SIGC and NCWIT and so forth offer small project grants to individual small areas to improve their pedagogy. And so they can use that to pay us to come down and give the workshop and keep it going that way. And sometimes we've also found that individual school districts or universities will decide to host one of their own. Initially, we were hosting, we sort of drew from the whole country. And so travel and lodging costs were a significant part of the overall cost of putting them on. And so, for example, in just a couple of weeks, I'll be going down to Birmingham, Alabama, for one that's being funded in part by NCWIT, just for Alabama area teachers. It'll be a much lower cost to put that on because we're not going to have to deal with all that overhead. And so they're not happening on a particularly predictable basis anymore because we don't have a predictable pool of money but there's still several a year if they go on. What, I guess, do you wish would happen? <laughs> um, with the capture workshops themselves? Yeah. That's a complicated question. So one of the interesting things over the years I've done them is noticing how much the baseline has changed. And so some of the things that we used to have to do, we no longer have to do, and there's new things we need to do. So they aren't static as the field picks up some things and so forth. But I think there's still clearly an ongoing need. And that need would be better supported if we had ongoing funding. Finding enough money to start an endowment is a ch challenging thing. And without an endowment, it's up to the whim of the funder. 
So I think what we're doing right now is okay. And if somebody listening to this happens to have several million dollars and wants to fund more, we can use it very effectively. All right, there we go. There's a challenge. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about lessons learned. Yeah. So what are sort of the highlights of things that you would like either researchers or my audience is mostly K-12 educators and administrators. What are some big takeaways that they can take away from what you've done so far? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of thinking about what the average ad- educator should know. We understand more than you think we do, writ large, right? There are academic researchers who study brains, who study reactions to things. A lot of that research is difficult to access if you aren't used to reading academic papers, which is a skill in its own right that takes a lot of effort to develop. Yeah, and that's, and this, po- that, that's this podcast. Like, that's part of what I'm trying to do is demystify right. this stuff. But there are opportunities like this podcast to learn about these things from people that have spent energy learning how to disseminate them outside of the research community, which sometimes are the researchers themselves, but often are other people that spend the energy learning about the research and figuring out how to share it. But the thing I really want to make point drive home is that things that don't seem like they will matter have surprisingly large impact. The research actually in this area seems to actually work in practice, right? So there are papers talking about the cognitive processes of recognizing you are different from other people in your classroom called stereotype threat. And you can read these papers and they're all in these weird artificial scenarios that researchers had to do to get rid of statistical error and get solid results. But those recommendations that come out of them actually work, right? And so the recommendations that come along and say, you should invite females into your class to bring their friends with them. So they'll come in in groups and feel like they belong this will actually result in a fairly significant increase in the happiness, success, and quantity of those students in your class. And I think that, if I had to pick one thing, is the thing I would take away. We can't fix all of the problems. We can't magically make discrimination and and differential preparation and the inequities of our society go away. But we can do a lot to use what we understand about how students learn and about how teaching works to improve our classrooms at no long-term effort from the teachers. There's some short-term effort in learning new strategies. Once they're implemented, it'll be just as easy, if not easier, to run your class because your students will be happier, they'll be more engaged in participating, and more people will benefit from it. Yeah, and it's, it's so interesting that these things can actually be pretty simple to do. It's just knowing that you need to do them is the key, right? Yeah, and often being comfortable with the moment when everything seems like it's a little bit Ah, so for example, one of the things that works quite well is pair programming, which means you have students work in pairs, there's some training you have to give them and how to work effectively in pairs. But the end result of this in the classroom is that you're giving the students tasks that are bigger than you know the answer to and letting them figure it out on their own. And this is a terrifying thing. The first time you're standing in front of a class, seeing all these pairs of people asking questions you don't know the answer to, right? right? But once you get over that initial hurdle, inside yourself, you realize that they're learning things and they'll teach you as well and the class will go well. And wouldn't you say you don't have to dive into all the different things, right? Pick pick one strategy, try that out, reflect on it. What worked, what didn't work? (laughs) This is a great point. So one of the things we learned early on in tapestry and learned more and more over time is that we just, there was too much. We would spend three days cramming information into teachers' heads. And then we'd ask them, what did you actually implement? And the answer was, uh... And we realized that we needed to spend significant amount of time convincing the teachers, you're not going to do it all. 
pick some, decide what you're going to do, commit to it, share with other people you committed to, and then you have much bigger impact. And this is part of the reason why returning kept working, right? We've had teachers that have attended more than a dozen tapestry workshops, but each time they'll say, okay, I've got that one thing. Now I can add this other one, or I thought I had that one thing, but I was missing this piece. And as they keep doing that, it gets better. So yeah, it's a, it's a steady, slow and steady wins the race. If you try to do it all at once, you'll crash and burn and probably fail to do it right. Right. And I do like that aspect of the tapestry workshops where you give time for the teachers to consider what they're going to do and make a plan and not just leave with all these ideas that they have to then figure out after the fact. We've also taken this work that you've done at the high school level and uh, in college level and tried to bring it down to the K-8 level with our CS Institute. Mm -hmm. So what has that experience been like for you? Yeah, first, let me just make a little context. We've taken a lot of places from high school. So we've tried this on community college teachers. We've tried it on university faculty. We've tried it at university teaching assistants. We've done it in middle schools. We've done it in other disciplines. We tried doing it for engineering teachers. We've tried doing it for K-8 teachers. So we've moved a lot of places. And before I talk about the specific you asked about, let me just comment. One of the things we find is that the more we know our audience, the better the training goes. This shouldn't be a surprising if you think about teaching, right? Knowing your students is part of designing good lessons. And we found really having focused groups that we can communicate the way they want to communicate and deal with the issues they feel they have really helps people understand. When it comes to the kindergarten through eighth grade teachers, there's a several differences from them in high school. Most notably that they're teaching everything, <laughs> well, particularly kindergarten through sixth grade or fifth grade, depending on what state you're in. They don't get to be subject teachers. And so this really changes a lot about how this works. Because a lot of what we were trying to teach the high school teachers was how do you create the CS classroom environment that causes people to thrive? But if you're teaching a few modules of computing inside a larger class, you don't want to change environment for that, mm -hmm. right? And there's some aspects that are transferable to everything, right? You shouldn't have stereotypes festooning your walls, for example. That's just always true. But there's other parts of it that just don't. And so picking out the things that matter, trying to find those teaching strategies that work for everything, and also the teaching strategies that work particularly for computing has been important. And so one of the things I found as we've dealt with teachers of younger students is we really need, and teachers in general who teach many things. So we need to help them understand what we mean by teaching computing and why computing is unlike other things. It's certainly like other things in many ways, but it's not like other things in every way. Just as math is unlike English in various sort of qualitative and ways, so too computing is unlike both of those in certain qualitative ways. And so communicating those and helping teachers understand some of that culture that goes into the discipline has been a key part of that. Yeah, I think one of the things you spend a lot of time on is the experimentation culture of CS. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, computer science just has this culture of we just try things. It's a culture where I can, there's virtually no cost in a failed experiment. I don't lose my computer. I don't lose any work. I don't destroy anything. There's, there's no major cost. And so the basic model of computing at all levels from, you know, senior professionals to researchers to novices is you write a little bit of code that is to say instructions to the computer. And you ask the computer to tell you what you did by doing it. And it does the wrong thing. You expected it to do the wrong thing. That was the desired outcome was see what it did wrong. So you can change what you're telling it. 
And this attitude of get it wrong a hundred times before you get it right is not common in, in most other disciplines because there's usually some cost to getting it wrong and or an expectation that getting it wrong meant you didn't understand enough. But the computer, you're, you're interacting with it. You're, it's back and forth. And so helping people understand that back and forth and be comfortable with this idea of repeated incomplete implementations being tested and failing as part of the correct path is a, is a mindset change that I think people need as they enter the space. Yeah, for sure. And I think it can be freeing as well, right? If you can get your head around it, then it makes it so much easier to introduce it, especially if you're a K-8 teacher who has, doesn't have a lot of the pedagogical content knowledge of CS, you can experiment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's actually beneficial for education generally. Education is also a space where we expect people to fail, even in disciplines where we don't expect them to fail once they become professionals, right? And helping students and teachers get used to this idea that, yeah, we experiment, we fail, that's part of the process, I think is freeing throughout your educational experience. Well, awesome. Is there any other thing that you would like, especially K-8 teachers or administrators, to take away from this kind of work? I'll just reiterate something I said earlier. You, and you just find one thing that you can fix and you fix it. And then you move on to the next one. Understanding computing is a gargantuan task. Understanding any field is a gargantuan task. Understanding how to diversify your classroom, how to better serve more kinds of people. There are so many different experiences people have. You can't do it all at once. But one of the things we have found again and again is if you just do one thing and do it, and then once you're okay doing it and feel comfortable, you do the next thing, then the problem goes away. It goes away slowly, a bit at a time, and there's no magic moment. We're like, hooray, we've arrived, because there's always the next thing. Right. But that next thing gets better and better over time. Well, I'm definitely going to link to the CS Institute, which is available online. So if you are interested, curious about, hey, I'd like to start doing some of this stuff, we have resources and videos and lessons and all sorts of things to get you started. Yeah. I'll also comment, if you do happen to know somebody that wants to fund a tapestry workshop, or any other group that you want to be trained, you're welcome to just email me, luther.virginia.edu, and I can point you to the appropriate people to deliver that training. Awesome. Well, Luther, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. <laughs>